ladies and gentlemen, people of all gender identity, degenerate gamblers who've already lost it all, welcome into the Dewar Dynasty podcast. Week one of the NFL season is behind us, and uh, boy, was there some football. That's There was some football. There was some football, Andrew, and not only was there some regular football, there was some fantasy football, and... I did pretty well. I got a 75% win rate first week, you know, shout out myself, big high five, pat on the back. Um, I'm feeling pretty good other than, you know, the Falcons, but hey, they're in the first place uh, probably, I would say, for first overall pick, so at least they're winning something. That is good. Um, Also, not to be too, like, fantasy football elitist here, but that's a 75% win percentage from a guy who's only in four leagues, so, you know, just just so you know what he's talking about. Still beast mode. No, it's a good week. That's a good week. Anytime, any week you can get three wins, you got to be happy with it. Or even more than 50%. You know, some weeks some weeks you end up with one win and that's all you need. Look, it's all a matter of perspective, really. Hey, sometimes you only end up with two wins out of six leagues. I'm not going to mention who that might be, but uh, looks like <laughs> I might have to hit the waiver wire this week. Yeah, and uh, big week for the waiver wire, which we will talk about later. Um, this show, we're going to talk about some big things we noticed in week one, uh, some injury news, waiver wire, and the first appearance of our new segment, the Game Summary Funnery, or also known as the Rapid Rundown. <laughs> uh, we're just going to give you quick little summaries of what happened in each game. We had very loose guidelines for how we structured. We each took a subset of the games. We had very loose guidelines for how we structured our summaries. So they may all sound very different, um, but that's and part we of haven't read each other's. That's part of the funnery. That's that's where the funnery comes in. You just got to see. It's the funnery mystery. I'm excited to hear Nick's impressions this week. Yeah, Nick said he has something big planned for us. Uh, so let's let's dive right in. Nick, why don't you start? Our first matchup of the week was Bucks versus the Cowboys. The reigning champs got to stay at home and raise the banner as the Cowboys watched on. And let me tell you, business was booming in Tampa Bay as A.B. and Godwin cash out at 23 apiece. While their counterpart, Mike Evans, in the Bucks' backfield got thrown overboard. But it's not all bad. Dallas didn't feed Zeke his daily bread, but Tony Pollard was trespassing on his touches. Dak and the Cowboys' wideouts ran wild, leading, you guessed it, it's Samari to wide receiver one on the week. In a game of bad versus worse, the fighting Jack Easterbees crip walked to one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish on Urban Meyer's Jacksonville Jaguars. And in the most shocking performance from this game, Tyrod Taylor posted competent QB1 numbers for once with 23.6 points. Then again, Stevie Wonder could have picked apart that awful Jaguars defense. Speaking of Stevie Wonder, I heard he'll be giving Tyrod his uh, pregame injections next week. This game gave me 2018 vibes when no. Mark Ingram, David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, and Danny Amendola all scored touchdowns. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence could have put up at least 28 points this week if he didn't throw three interceptions. No wonder he lost his first regular season game since high school. Headlines from Los Angeles. Chargers versus football team. Ryan Geriatric hurts hip, public flummoxed by subluxations. <laughs> Williams kills, critics chill. Gibson takes the carries, Eckler brings the scaries, and please tell us, where's Terry? 
Bengals versus Vikings. Dalvin Cook and the youngster Jamar Chase both dropped a 20-20. But it was Adam Whelan and Dylan Thielen who stole the show with 30 on two touchdowns. Sophomore receivers Jeffrey Justinson and He Higgins are feeling the <laughs> <laughs> Sophomore receivers Jeffrey Justinson and Heath Higgins are feeling the freshman 15 as both have sluggish outings compared to their respective counterparts. Ending on a positive note, Joe Mixon looked every bit the workhorse this week, turning 33 touches into an RB2 finish. Everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. And the Titans certainly looked like they got punched in their mouth. They were giving me Ben Askren versus Jake Paul vibes this week. The entire, the entire Titans offense put up less than fantastic numbers. Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown didn't lose you your week, but Julio Jones certainly did with just under six points. You could have started any of the Arizona Cardinals this week and been just fine. Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins balled out as expected. Even Christian Kirk made his case for it to be the bigger target hog over Adriel Geriatric Green and Rondale Moore as Kirk secured all five of his targets for two touchdowns and a 24-point boom. Headlines from Indianapolis, Colts versus Seahawks. Seahawks' new offense soars, Colts' D left salty. Colts' running backs lead in targets as offensive line falls like autumn. Carson's backfield with no co-owner, Taylor takes the touches. Jets versus Panthers, Corey Davis, five catches. Two touchdowns, one fresh start. He had 26 for you this week. McCaffrey is who we thought he was. His zero touchdowns were barely made up for by 180 yards and nine catches. Robbie Anderson caught one tud but didn't catch the eye of Sam Darnold much after that. And DJ Moore put on a nice show with during his first dance with the new quarterback. Headlines from New York. Giants versus Broncos. Saquon owners seething after slow start. Broncos' backfield nearly busts, believes sharing is caring. Opening for targets in Denver after Judy blooms before injury. On the terrible turf of Buffalo, the best fantasy performance in this game came from the Steelers' defense and their special teams. Thanks to a block punt touchdown, they scored 14 points this week, which is just as many as Deontay Johnson. The rest of the Bills and Steelers receivers were serviceable at best this week. They say pressure makes diamonds, but that was not the case for Josh Allen. Death, taxes, and the Bills having no meaningful running backs to play in fantasy. But don't even get me started about the Steelers' run game right now. We can talk about that later. Headlines from Detroit. Lions versus 49ers. Target junkie Hawkinson gets a hit of the good stuff. Lions running backs feast on leftovers. 49ers offense strikes gold, but not where you'd expect. And Kyle Shanahan still refuses to close out football games. Eagles versus Falcons, the battle of the birds, and boy was it dirty. The Falcons offense was terrible. It may be too early for concern on Calvin Ridley and the youngster Kyle Pitts, but you should be terrified by the rest of this roster. Jalen Hurts put the hurt on Atlanta as he scored 28.8 and boosted your fantasy lineup from deep. Devontae Smith and Miles Flanders Sanders threw sand in the eyes of everyone who doubted them, grabbing 17 and 19 points apiece, and boy did they look good. Headlines from New England, Patriots versus Dolphins. 
Previously tagged Tiny Tosser Tua throws long balls. Damien dominates carries, but the Mac attack needs more cheese. And both teams spread targets like mayonnaise on a Clemson fan. Browns versus Chiefs. They are who we thought they were. Chubb, Landry, and Hunt were all solid starts for the Browns. Tyreek, Mahomey, Trav, and Clyde all performed as expected. And as always, the Browns is the Browns. Headlines from somewhere in Florida. Saints versus Packers. Famous Jameis, no longer the lamest, unleashes LASIK lasers. Packers offense diverges from expectations. Rogers' future in jeopardy? Saints still stuff the run. Don't send your wide receivers to the jail of Jair. The headlining game on Sunday night. Bears versus Rams. Daryl Henderson is the lead back and in other news, water is wet. Cooper Peanut Butter Cup had a creamy 24 points off a 35% chunky of the Rams targets. Bobby Trees put up a measly 12 points on his first night with new old quarterback Matthew Stafford, who had 300 and a trio of tuds for 24. Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, and everyone not named David Montgomery underperformed, even for the Bears. Monty and Cole Komet were the only Bears with enough hair on their chest to muscle out a top 24 finish at the position. Here's a brain buster for you. Justin Fields had more fantasy points than Andy Dalton on a tenth of the snaps. The Rams win, and yeah, water is still wet. And on Monday night, the Ravens at the Raiders. Darren Waller just got another target. Thanks to Derek Supercar and terrible play cars by the Ravens' D coordinator, all Ravens receivers and running backs scored more than 10 points, except for Henry Run Ruggs and Willie Sneed. Not even sure why Willie Sneed was on the field, and John Gruden's asking the same thing today after that awful interception. Marquise Brown and Tyson Williams were the only exciting Ravens this week because Latavius Murray vultured a touchdown from Lamar Jackson. Sammy Watkins had his usual promising Week 1 performance, but he'll probably disappoint us for the rest of the season, just like Game of Thrones season eight. What what a week! What a week, guys! <laughs> what what a week! <laughs> um, okay, you know, I love that, boys. I love the variety. Yeah, not only variety, but um, some really standout performances. And you know, if if you happen to be listening to this and be, you know, a talent agent of sorts, I think. We, all three of us be open to listening to calls. So, uh, yeah, you know where to find us. Or if you know yeah, a I talent assumed, agent. I assumed you were talking about our performances, Nick, and not the uh, players. That's for sure. Were we supposed to be talking about something else on this podcast? Is this not just where we record our performances and then review them? No, yeah, I think we're supposed to end it right here. Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, a real good week from us, obviously. Um, you're probably doing good listening, too, but, like, really good week from us. Psych! We're talking about more than that this week. There was a lot that happened in week one, and we've been dying to talk about it. So we've got a jam-packed episode for you today. We just had to have a little fun there at the beginning of the episode. So we've got a couple things on tap for you from Steelers run game to Brandon Ayuk not seeing the field, the Dirty Birds, as as Nick suggested, and some other injuries that happened around the league. And we'll talk about how those impact uh, the Dynasty Leagues this week. Yeah, so let's go right in with injuries uh, from, you know, most fun to not as fun. 
there were some some significant injuries that happened in week one. Didn't feel as significant as as the preseason. Uh, you know, not trying to diminish anyone's injuries or anything, but week one felt relatively safe after just what felt like a mess of of a preseason with injuries. Let's go to Denver. Jerry Judy out with a high ankle sprain. Brady, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so if you saw uh, Jerry Judy's injury or if you had the stomach to watch how he injured it, it was a very typical mechanism for a high ankle sprain. He'll be out four to six weeks, so look for him to return around week six or seven. There shouldn't be any long-term implications beyond this season. Uh, In his absence, you can look for Cortland Sutton to maybe see a few more targets. At least my fantasy team certainly hopes so. Tim Patrick could see a few more targets as well. And some beat reporters were reporting that KJ Hamler was even working with the first team today after he had four targets in last week's matchup against the Giants. So typical uh, run-of-the-mill recovery for Jerry Judy, barring any setbacks. So look for him to return about week six or seven. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, a couple things here is this is feeling a little bit like last year's Broncos team where, you know, a lot of competition for targets and they lose a wide receiver last year. It was Cortland Sutton with the ACL. Jerry Judy now set to miss some time, but like a plethora of receiving options with Sutton, Hamler, Patrick, Noah Fant. Um, Albert O. Albert O is good for, you know, a touchdown every once in a while. Once a year, I guess, technically. He only had one touchdown last year. Do you guys know yeah, that? But it was his rookie. It was his rookie season. It was it his rookie like season. It did feel too. like he had more than that. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I I don't know why I thought he had like three or four weeks where he snuck into the end zone. Um, also though, like for anyone who was a, a Christian McCaffrey or Michael Thomas owner last year, like you know what what a high ankle sprain can be because both of them, uh, both of them, you know, came back for a little bit but dealt with it and it really affected their performance on the field. Andrew makes a good point there. There is a slight difference, uh, especially when it comes to the Michael Thomas case. Uh, He had some um, issues with uh, the medial ligament of his ankle in addition to the high ankle sprain, which is what caused Michael Thomas to have a few more issues after uh, after returning from his injury. Uh, It just sounds like Jerry Judy does not have that same medial instability so that should actually provide Jerry Judy with a better outlook than uh, what Michael Thomas had last year. Uh, Christian McCaffrey did come back healthy um, from the high ankle sprain, but he ended up having that shoulder injury in the game that he returned. So hopefully Jerry doesn't have uh, the same luck that Christian McCaffrey had last year, and he should have a, a better outlook um, than the two of those guys did last year. Yeah, it's good to hear that um... – you know, it, it you don't like to see any injury, but, you know, hearing that it, it could be a, a more clean recovery is always good for such a young receiver with a lot of promise. Uh, speaking of Definitely. good young receiver with a lot of promise, Michael Gallup went down, and I don't think he'll be galloping anymore, at least not for a little bit. He got oh. bucked to the IR <laughs> Dang. Uh, with him. a calf injury, so... I'll just lead this off and say that I think, to me, this makes Cedric Wilson, especially in deeper dynasty leagues, uh, a really nice waiver waiver wire target this week. Um, this is a Cowboys team that threw the ball 58 times last week, and we're on pace to throw the ball well over 600 times through six games with Dak last year. So we know there's going to be volume, and as the number three, you're going to be 
guaranteed at least one or two weeks where you probably sneak in the end zone, catch a touchdown. Plus, we saw Cedric Wilson go for 100 yards and two touchdowns just last year. Yeah, the fact that Gallup got bucked to the IR means that he's going to be out at least three games this year. Soft tissue injuries, uh, especially in the legs, can be tough to kind of forecast uh, for recovery. And he may end up dealing with this for the rest of the season when he comes back. So stock for Michael Gallup is definitely down right now. And I would say that that would even continue when he returns, unless he proves otherwise, um, if he comes back and looks super healthy. Someone who will not be returning this year is Raheem Mostert, or Raheem Most Hurt, because it seems like he is always injured. He has chipped cartilage in his knee, and he's going to have surgery to repair that, which for the long-term health of his knee is the right thing to do. Uh, he's going to make sure that he recovers properly and that he doesn't deal with the lingering effects of that injury for the rest of his life because if he did rush back and not allow himself to fully recover, he could potentially deal with that for quite a long time and have uh, implications later in life. But in his absence, look for Elijah Mitchell on your waiver wires. I know some people are in leagues where he's uh, added already. Some people are not. Um, this episode would be released after most waivers are cleared, so he may have been picked up already, but if he hasn't, you definitely need to get him for whatever you can if you're in a, uh, a free agency bidding league. He'll be worth the money. Another guy to look out for in that San Francisco backfield is Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, he's had some success there in the past as well. Yeah, so we're just saying, if you can hear us now, you know, NSA employees with fantasy football teams, you know, look for Elijah Mitchell now. You might be the only ones who get this message. Um if you watch Sunday's game, you'll know to look out for, for Elijah Mitchell. Uh, he had almost 70% of the carries. Uh, obviously, Mostert went out very early, and Trey Sermon was not active for the game. But, you know, it looks like Kyle Shanahan has a lot of confidence in Elijah Mitchell. Um, Elijah Mitchell is, you know, despite the fact that he was a six-round pick, he's he's a talented runner. He's a very fast runner, uh, almost in the model of, of Mostert, who's, you know, one of the fastest guys in the league. So, uh, you know, I could see, I could really see him becoming the starter and, and having Trey Sermon and, you know, the other guys there, Jeff Wilson, Jermichael Hasty being used almost more as a, as a change of pace. Yeah. And I heard you touch on the, uh, Trey Sermon situation, which I thought was really interesting. And, and I feel like the reaction by the fantasy community is also pretty interesting up to this point. Um, I'm sure you know by now, if you're hearing this, that, Trey Sermon was a healthy scratch from this week's game, which yes. was, I think, a surprise yes, to just about everyone. Um, and especially me as a Trey Sermon owner. <laughs> um, I don't know why that happened. And, and it was especially catching me off guard because there was no indication at all when Trey Sermon was running with the first team in some preseason games and, uh, throughout the preseason, all the good things we heard that he would be behind Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon. Yeah. And you know, San Francisco's backfield is always a little bit mysterious. Like even last year, obviously Mostert was hurt for a lot of the year, but it's hard to figure out like week to week who is going to be the guy because Kyle Shanahan like uses, uses a lot of different players and it, like he seems to believe in just everyone he has 
except for maybe Trey Sermon. Um, if nothing else, the draft capital would have you expecting that Trey Sermon would be the starter there, uh, you know, given a Raheem Mostert injury. But, I mean, you know, whatever Shanahan has seen so far, clearly he's not a huge fan of. Um, and Elijah Mitchell looked good. He did, yeah. Like, you know, it's I, I don't I don't really see why you would uh why you would switch things up here, but that's as a you know, someone who wants to be an Elijah Mitchell owner more than I want to be a Trey Sermon owner right now. Yeah, Elijah Mitchell certainly made his case this weekend and certainly didn't help Trey Sermon out at all. So we'll see how that backfield situation pans out. Another confusing situation in San Francisco, or I guess in Detroit, since they were at the away team this week. Um, was the the Brandon Ayuk situation, which I know a lot of people were confused about and a lot of the community is talking about this week. He did deal with a lingering hamstring injury throughout camp, and those things can be a nuisance. Uh, A lot of of hamstring injuries happen during training camp just due to the sheer volume of work that the players are putting in during that time, preparing for the season. So it was interesting that um, he didn't see the field as much as most fantasy managers would have liked. Kyle Shanahan pointed out that he uh, didn't see as many snaps due to the hamstring injury. I know there were uh, some rumors that it was more of a disciplinary thing. We don't have the inside information there, so we're not going to speculate whether or not it was due to injury. So, like, for me, one of the one of the concerning things about Brandon Ayuk, and, you know, I personally, I was watching on Red Zone this weekend, so I was not watching every snap of every game, but... Brandon Ayuk was on the field for 47% of the snaps, which blows my mind because he did not receive a single target and it seemed like he had just entirely disappeared out there. Um, you know, I think you look at these these running back and wide receiver situations side by side, you, you see the same thing, which is that it does not seem like the beat reporters in San Francisco really know what's going on. You know, no one warned us that Brandon Ayuk would be so minimally involved. And this is a guy who, like, they will create touches for him. Like, him not seeing a target is not just a case of of him not getting over. They will, when he's healthy, manufacture touches for them, as they do for all of their best players. But with no one seeming to know what's going on there except for Kyle Shanahan, and Kyle Shanahan not being very willing to speak on it or tell the truth as, as we would like it, I think there's some cause for concern in San Francisco uh, with Brandon Ayuk. Obviously, Debo Samuel stepped in in his stead and had a massive game. And, you know, George Kittle's always reliable. But I'm I'm a little concerned about Brandon Ayuk, at least for the time being. Long-term outlook, I think, is fine, but at least for the time being. Kyle Shanahan. Speaking of Kyle Shanahan, let's pivot to the Washington football team. Their quarterback this this weekend, Ryan Fitzpatrick, had a hip subluxation. A subluxation is similar to a dislocation, uh, but it's less severe because the two joint surfaces don't completely separate. Um, so he will be out for the majority of the season, if not the whole season, mostly because uh, there are long-term healing implications. Uh, he has to make sure that there isn't long-term damage uh, due to like a compromised blood supply to his hip. So he's going to have a long road to recovery. So we will see Taylor Heineke in Washington for the rest of the season. And there's been a lot of discussion already about the fantasy implications uh, for the other offensive weapons on the Washington football team. I personally think it doesn't change a whole lot. 
um, for any of those players because they've survived in the past uh, with non-superior quarterback play. And, you know, we're praying for Ryan Fitzpatrick because, you know, I've heard, you know, when old people get hip injuries, you know, they can't really move out of bed and move around it's too much. And it's, just, it's the last straw for them. You know, it's very dangerous. Um, <laughs> that's that's rude. Um, Ryan Fitzpatrick is clearly not that old and probably in great shape for someone of his age, um, which, again, is not that old. But I got to say... Uh, when did I say something about this? I said something about this when we were talking about wide receivers and not being sure that Ryan Fitzpatrick would even be the quarterback for the the football team the whole season. And I mean, it sucks for it to happen this way, but I'm I'm a little worried. I I am like I'm a little worried about the ceilings. I think of of Terry McLaurin and the entire offense. Really, I will say you know the one thing is is Logan Thomas caught a touchdown pass from Taylor Heineke, so. I don't want to be tied to anything I said about Logan Thomas. I still wouldn't want to own him in Dynasty because he's like 30, but he might have an okay season if he turns out to be one of Taylor Heineke's favorite targets. And I think Taylor Heineke might be a sneaky waiver wire grab, especially if you know, you're know you a little less loaded at quarterback and you could see yourself streaming some weeks or streaming within your own lineup. He might be a decent add in some deeper leagues. Or a super flex league. Or a super flex. Yeah, where do you guys where do you guys think he ends up like like on a week to week basis? Around what range of quarterback? Just so for people in super flex leagues, because they're obviously trying to play every quarterback like like up through twenty four they're willing to play. Um, where do you guys think he ends up? I think on his best weeks, he's sitting around quarterback twelve or thirteen, and on his worst weeks, he's sitting right down there at about quarterback twenty four. I think he has a little bit more uh, mobility, uh, which we saw in that playoff game against the Buccaneers. He was not afraid to get out of the pocket and run the ball a little bit. And uh, he does seem to find his targets in the end zone. Um, He certainly put up a fight in that Buccaneers game, which a lot of people uh, were surprised by. And I would say that he has the potential uh, to boom for you in a week and, and be in that 12 to 13 range. But, I would say he's a definite QB2 uh, for the remainder of the season. Yeah, he's not someone I'd want to rely on on a consistent basis, but I think in that spot start uh, against the right defense, you might have a nice week from him. Uh, Like you said, he's got that added mobility, which is always a nice little rushing floor for for quarterbacks. But I am definitely cautious of it. Um, I, I don't expect him to really finish above wide receiver or quarterback, sorry quarterback probably 18 most weeks i'd be surprised if he was falling in that range i think he's going to be more around quarterback 22 to 24 each week if if you had asked me yeah you know and he does he does have weapons there obviously curtis samuel not there yet we'll you know keep track of him he's still dealing with a hamstring injury um so last year in that playoff game, which is really all we've we've seen of, of Taylor Heineke. Um, apparently he played in six games for Carolina in 2018. I did not know that. Uh, yeah, neither did I. <laughs> one start. Um, but three three rushes for 22 yards. So, like, I, I think he's got that, that pocket mobility, like the ability to kind of avoid sacks, and he's mobile enough for that. But he's not someone who's going to give you, like, uh, a high rushing baseline. And he's... 
he's yet to throw an interception in for the for the football team. So last year in that one playoff game and in you know the time he saw this year, hopefully he stays efficient with the ball. I don't know. I'm I'm not excited about owning Taylor Heineke. I wouldn't be. And I am I am a little worried. Like even in the playoff game last year, 137 yards passing. I'm I got to say I'm very worried about about the ceiling for Terry McLaurin. Yeah, this is a team that's going to probably sit back on the heels of their defense, I would think, and and run the football and 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 take care of the rock as much as possible, kind of like they did last year with Alex Smith. Uh, a lot of more small checkdowns probably limited the playbook a little bit. But, you know, I still think there's some weapons here and there's a possibility of a boom week. So he's not someone I'm rushing out to grab. But, you know, maybe if if you could use the help, it's it's not the worst worst thing in the world. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, so let's go a little bit more in depth about some of the, the big things we saw this weekend. I'll just go real quick. We talked about the 49ers. We talked about the wide receivers, talked about the running backs. Um, important to get specific here. Debo Samuel had an almost 50% target share the other day another guy that Shanahan will manufacture touches for so you know if Ayuk's going to miss significant time or not be a factor in the offense uh you know big big opportunity for Debo Samuel and hopefully he stays healthy Trent Sherfield played about 49% of the snaps the other day and uh had a touchdown possibly worth a speculative ad in deeper dynasty leagues because you know he seems to be the third man up and Debo himself, you know, is, is always at risk for injury. And, you know, the 49ers have to start someone at wide receiver. They can't just run the ball and throw it to George Kittle all the time. I mean, they probably could, they, you know, but they won't. They won't, but I think we even saw last week that George Kittle wasn't necessarily as involved as, you know, we've been accustomed to. Obviously he still left his imprint on the game, but we didn't see that big touchdown where he breaks six tackles and probably leaps over a guy and takes a shot on his way into the end zone. But uh, I I think when we do see George Kittle have these games, obviously Debo's target share will come down. But I think what this game told me is that Kyle Shanahan really likes Debo Samuel and he's going to find ways to get him involved. So I think that bodes well for just about any time he's going to be on the field, which I guess we hope will be more than it has been in the past. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed for Debo. Uh, All right, let's flip it to Brady. Brady has some things to say about his team's running back and just just about the team, really. Yeah, I would say it's less about the running back and more so about the the choices that the Steelers made in the offseason. In the draft, they went running back, tight end, uh, interior offensive lineman in that order in the draft. Uh, this weekend, we saw that Najee had 16 carries and three targets. They only finished with a handful of yards and five, about 5.9 fantasy points. So in order to see big numbers from Najee moving forward, I think one of two things needs to happen. Either the offensive line, which is very young still, uh, needs to develop, or Najee needs to see more than three targets uh, for those you know PPR points and you know grabbing those short yards, short yardage pickups. Uh, in the passing game. Another concerning thing for me is that the Bills defense isn't known for stopping the run. And if we, the Steelers had struggle, had struggles getting the run game going against them, uh, we could have some, some issues in the rest of the AFC North where there's a lot of solid run defenses. 
Yeah, that was kind of the hallmark of the Bills' defense last year. Um, you know, even in the playoff games against uh, the playoff game against the Colts, I remember them. You know, not being not being able to stop Jonathan Taylor. Uh, obviously, the Colts have a very good run game, but but you could always kind of rely on a running back to have a good good week against the Bills. But you know, at that Steelers offensive line is is very concerning. Um, and then also, like I think for. Uh, Chase Claypool in particular, who's going to be running a lot of deeper routes and kind of relying on the time the offensive line would give them to allow plays to develop so that he can get get out into his route and get open. Yeah, we were discussing the Steelers' target shares um, before we started recording, and I think we all agreed that Deontay is certainly going to lead the team in targets, uh, followed by Juju, and then Claypool is going to have those deeper targets uh, as more of a boomer bust candidate. Uh, this year as long as the O-line struggles um, to provide Ben with some protection. Um, All right, let's move on to the Eagles and the Falcons. Uh, I think this was a little bit of a surprising game for me. Um, Certainly a surprising game for Vegas. The Falcons were favored by, I believe, three points at home. And, like, this is just one of those week one games where – Things in the off season were probably not as they seemed on both sides. The Falcons' offense struggled mightily to do to do anything. The offensive line, sure much like the Steelers, looked abysmal, uh, as it always does. <laughs> <laughs> um, good week for the Eagles, though. You know, good week for them. Don't want to say it's just because they played a bad Falcons defense or whatever, but you know, Jalen Hurts, I think, looked like a legitimate NFL quarterback. I think he looked like a legitimate NFL quarterback, and I think we saw a lot from from the Eagles coaching staff in week one. I, I was really encouraged uh, that they were using Kenneth Gainwell over Boston Scott. Um, I think, personally, I'm not, I'm not a huge Boston Scott fan. I think Kenneth Gainwell has a lot of traits that you want to develop in a young player, especially a young player that you get late like that when they're just these raw athletes that you can utilize in different ways. Um, and I really don't think that's something Doug Peterson would have done last year. Uh, Miles Sanders, another thing Doug Peterson wouldn't have done last year, give him 15 touches in a game and five targets. Wow. It's crazy what you do when you put the ball in your best playmaker's hands. Devontae Smith had a real good game as well. But uh, to me, Miles Sanders was was kind of the the star of the Eagles offense. Yeah, and you know that offensive line is a lot healthier than it was last season, which is a big plus. Um, you know, being someone who's who's in you know the Philadelphia area and has the privilege the the privilege to listen to Philly sports talk radio every once in a while, the mood around Nick Sirianni's signing was not cheery. You know, he had a bad first press conference where he was he was kind of uh, unwilling to stick with a quarterback when they still had Carson Wentz, and. People were not a huge fan, but I I thought he looked like I thought he made made the team look really good. You know, it's not a team with like world beating talent necessarily, but I thought he made them look good the other day. Yeah, Siri, Sirianni had that absolute fire of a press conference where he gave the take of he wants his team to do less thinky, more athlete takeover. Um, so yeah, a lot of people didn't necessarily respect him uh, leading into the season, but. One thing I did see this weekend was that when they had success, he was celebrating with the players, and I think the players respect him, which really is all that matters when you're a head coach in the NFL. It doesn't really matter what the fans think. 
at the start when you're young and just starting out, as long as you gain the respect of your players, that will show through on the field and your team will have success. Uh, for Eagles fans, I'd be encouraged by what I saw, not only from the players this week, but from the coaching staff and the way they were able to formulate and execute a game plan uh, against the fail the Falcons uh, this weekend. Falcons. Yeah, and and I, you know, Nick Sirianni got the game ball after the game, and and it does feel like he's he's gained the respect of of some of the players, and you might even say he's gained it well. Ah uh, ha ha! Anyone? Oh, <laughs> I thought it was okay. Um, <laughs> um, okay, let's talk Falcons. The Falcons. Uh, look, I'm I'm I got like I'm five alarm fire concerned about the the Falcons offense. Uh, that offensive line looks dreadful, and you know that means no running game, no time for for routes to develop. You know Matt Ryan is a guy who will air the ball out, but he can't really do that if he's got two seconds in the pocket. Yeah, he he played most of that game on his back and his front and any part of his body that weren't his, his feet. side. Yeah. It, it, I'm, st- I'm getting to the point where I feel bad for Matt Ryan. Um, I, I've definitely gone through my phases of blaming him as a Falcons fan and loving him and, and every emotion that comes with it. But I just, I feel so sorry for him now. He, he really yeah. does deserve to be able to just have a clean pocket every once in a while. But I think what we saw from Kyle Pitts, um, he had a pretty nice target share of eight targets was encouraging. That was one of the yeah. very few things in this Falcons offense that was encouraging in the slightest to me, though. Yeah, eight targets for Pitts. You know, he didn't do much with it, but, you know, bad bad week for the, the offense in general. Um, but definitely a good thing to see. I think he's clearly the number two. I don't did, – did Russell Gage have any catches? I think he had, like, no, two targets and – Not a single catch. And no catches. Um, Dang. I mean – you saw, with, with <laughs> you saw with Austin. You saw with Austin Hooper a couple years ago. Austin Hooper's big season was kind of a result of like Matt Ryan needing to check down and looks over and there's Austin Hooper standing five yards from the line of scrimmage. You know, it, you know, big, possibly big things for Kyle Pitts. I think the opportunity is going to be there. I don't see why it wouldn't be, and I think they'll do a better job of of finding ways to not only get him the targets, but get him in situations where he could catch the ball and create after the catch. Uh, so I do think there will be upside for him. I think there will be upside for Ridley at some point. Um, but mm-hmm. it is scary, man. If they can't get it done against this Philly defense, I don't know who they're going to be able to do it against. Yeah, I think in a situation where you have a really tough week one game uh, where things didn't necessarily go your way, um, I think you kind of have to do what Nick did as a, as a Falcons fan. You have to take away the positives uh, and hope for the best. It's a long season. You know, we got 17 games this year. Hopefully the Falcons can figure it out and that offense can get it going, not just for fantasy purposes, but for the purposes of Falcons fans. We're back. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, Arthur Smith coming over from the Titans, finding it's not as easy to run a Titans-style offense with no offensive line and no Derrick Henry. But let's flip it to the positive side, an offense that had a pretty good showing the other day, uh, the Bengals. Solid weeks for... Jamar Chase and he Tiggins. Uh, <laughs> um, and obviously Joe Mixon, the RB two overall on the week with two touchdowns. Uh, you know, is, I guess my question is just, is this, is this offense for real? You know, there were a lot of questions 
in the in the preseason about Joe Burrow's health coming back from what was a pretty devastating injury and the offensive line which you know didn't really seem to have any like like major improvements in the offseason but I mean what do you guys think is the Bengals offense for real it certainly seems like it um the, I would argue that the offensive line had very minor improvements uh, in the offseason they had a couple good free agent acquisitions um Obviously, with a, a pass-catching running back like Joe Mixon, you can kind of counteract the pressure um, with you know with having a, a average to below-average offensive line. I was surprised by Jamar Chase. I thought he was supposed to be dropping balls, and he comes out and has the second best fantasy second best fantasy performance uh, of the team uh, with twenty point nine points. Uh, T. Higgins or He Tiggins, as some may call him, finished with fifteen point eight. Uh, he had a, a solid flex week, uh, which is where I think most people had him in their lineups. Uh, Tyler Boyd didn't do anything spectacular, but Tyler Boyd is a weapon. So if they can keep their weapons healthy and the offensive line can be serviceable, I certainly think that the Bengals offense could be for real. I think it's you know definitely a good sign for them. I don't know if I'm ready to say they're for real just quite yet. Uh, I'd like to see you know a few more games from from this team. But I, I will say I think Joe Mixon is for real, and I think you're seeing exactly the type of running back he is when he can get a decent workload and he has a supporting cast. Um, Brady called him a pass-catching back, and, and to a point, yes, I do agree. He, he is a very capable pass catcher, but we've just never seen him utilized that way. But we did this week, which was great to see from a, a fan of Joe Mixon's um, I, th- I think his upside is exponential right now and could be growing. No more Giovanni Bernard. No, sir. Yeah, I think another encouraging thing, too, about this Bengals team is that their offense is going to have to go in some games because, you know, their defense isn't exactly elite, um, so they could be giving up some points, uh, which leads to more shots, uh, you know, later in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, I have Joe Mixon projected to be the fifth uh, best running back in fantasy this year uh, behind only Dalvin Cook, McCaffrey, Kamara, and Henry. Uh, I was certainly one of those guys who was very high on Joe Mixon, so it was good to see him have a solid performance uh, to start the season. Yeah, Nick, I think I lean a little bit with you on the Bengals offense as a whole, uh, but Brady, I'm certainly with you on on Joe Mixon. I'm very high on Joe Mixon. Um, but I am, you know... I, I guess I also have the question after week one is, is this Vikings defense just still bad? Uh, Cause they were not good, good at all last season and adding an aiding, like they, they obviously, they got some players back on the defensive line, but like adding an aging Patrick Peterson doesn't necessarily like fix your secondary. So like Jamar chase as a dynasty asset, obviously one of the most valuable coming into this season was probably one of the top three or four picks of rookie drafts. Uh, where do you guys see him as like a wide receiver two for the rest of the year? Or do you think he ends up falling into more of a wide receiver three flex range or, you know, even further past that? Or does he shoot all the way up to a wide receiver one? I still have, these don't have that take. (laughs) (laughs) I still have him slotted around wide receiver three flex for now. Um, I think, He's a really promising talent, and he, he will reach the point in his career where he is considered wide receiver one. 
but right now I'm still I'm still waiting to see the full development like you like we've been talking about there's a lot of targets a lot of weapons in this offense and I think there will be up weeks I think there will be down weeks and and in this first year you got to just kind of weather the storm and wait for a player of his caliber to polish his talent and and become an NFL wide receiver yeah, I mean, definitely. If there if there was a a stock down moment for him from you know impulsive fantasy owners before the season, that's that's totally gone now. All right, that's gonna do it for this episode of the Doer Dynasty podcast. We're actually switching formats a little bit, and you know, there's just so much to cover during the NFL season, so much for us to talk about, and you know, we could go on for probably hours about all of it, but we don't want to subject any of you to that. Uh, but we will be releasing a second episode this week. Uh, we'll have that out to you before week two starts on Thursday. But for now, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you very soon. 